And I will make a disclaimer from the very start. Uh, Sometimes as you preach God's word, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training up in righteousness. But some days, the sermon that you have to preach is R-rated, and you've got to try and make it a PG-rated sermon, and that is the case today. Um, I'm glad the younger children are not in here, and uh, for those, there are some preteen that I'm going to be a little careful with my speech, but uh, if you, I don't want to have to create more problems for you as parents or have to have you make explanations of things when you get home, so, uh, but we'll read God's word together, and then we'll dive into the message. Uh, Genesis chapter 38, verses 1 to 26. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew the offspring would not be his, so whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may, die just, he may die too, just as his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men, to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira the Adolamite went with him. When Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with the veil to disguise herself, and then she sat down at the, at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal, its cord, and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her, slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adullamite, in order to get the pledge back from the woman. But he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, Where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road to Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we'll become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her the young goat, but but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord the staff are. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. One of the things that uh, we're going to go back to the States in August for a, a birth of one of my grandchildren one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, having when I'm there, my, my oldest son has been uh, showing me pictures on, on his uh, WhatsApp account and things like that. He bought a, a big smoker, and he's been smoking barbecued spare ribs. I love barbecued spare ribs. And the ones that I get here, they're just the single ones, but we, we try to work with that. But 
in, in the U.S., there are places that have um, all-you-can-eat, barbecued spare ribs on a certain night for a certain price. And there were a group of college guys that, they, you know, they were sick of eating ramen noodles, and they'd saved up their money because it was quite expensive to go to this buffet because they knew, I mean, they got to they try and serve barbecued spare ribs to all these people. So when they got there, these guys hadn't eaten all day, and they drove 50 miles to get to this place to get these barbecued spare ribs. And the table was just heaped up. With, with the bones from all of these barbecued spare ribs, as well as cornbread and, and coleslaw and all this. And so at the end of the night, I mean, they kind of got up from the table. They were all you know, just full of barbecued spare ribs. And they went out to the car, and the guy's like, where are my keys? He couldn't find the keys to his car, and so he went back into the restaurant thinking, oh, I left my keys on the table. The table was clean. And they said, and he went up to somebody and said, where, where, what, what did you do with the stuff on the table? And he said, oh, we got a busboy. We got somebody who comes in and cleans the table. And they just, they scrape all the stuff on the table right into a big tub and it all goes into a garbage bag. And he said, well, where, where's that garbage bag? Is it in the kitchen? And they said, oh, no, it's out in the dumpster. And so he looked out of the dumpster and he looked at his friends that were there and they're saying, it isn't our car. It wasn't our keys that got put in the, in the garbage. You said, you're going to have to go into the dumpster. So he crawls up into this dumpster, and there's the barbecued sparrows, and he's digging through these bags, trying to find his keys. By the time he gets out of that, by the time he finally found his keys, he's got barbecue sauce over here, coleslaw over here, and you know, he's, he's, a, he's a mess. Why do I use this illustration? Because Judah is a mess. This family is a mess, but it's interesting. God enters into our messes, doesn't he? When Jesus came into this world, he came into a world that was dark. And Jesus still comes into places that are a mess. For some of us, we come in here on a Sunday morning, we put the Sunday morning happy face on and everything is good in our home. But we haven't talked with our wife for a few days. Or things are going on with our kids, or things are going on with our health. Does Jesus still long to enter into the mess that our lives can be? He absolutely does. And not only does he absolutely desire to do that, he is the only one that can bring healing and restoration into some of the areas of our lives that would be desperately needed. Judah is a mess. Judah looks exactly like, in many ways, his father and the home in which he grew up. Because for some of you, you're saying... Pastor, we're supposed to be doing a series on Joseph. When are we ever going to get to Joseph? Next week. And you look at chapter 38, and it's almost like a page fell out, fell out of the book, and somebody just slapped the page in there because it's like, what is this doing in the story of Joseph? It's there. It's there because whose line is Jesus going to come through? It's not through Joseph. It's through Judah. And you look at the different things, and especially this week and next week, there are some sexual themes that are going on, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But you look at the way in which Judah dealt with sexual temptation, and you look at the way that Joseph deals with sexual temptation. Both of them grew up in the same home, but both of them were not at the same place spiritually. And the Judah that we meet here today is not the Judah that we're going to meet in chapter 44. In about four weeks when we deal with that. The Judah that you meet today is not the same Judah that you're going to meet in chapter 44. Something is going to happen in Judah's life today. And it's going to happen in a huge way. And it changes him. And it doesn't just change him. Here's the thing. Dads, moms, when you change, you have an effect not just on you and on your marriage, but you have an effect on your children. Because through the line of Judah, nine generations later is whom? Is David. But you look at the line of Judah and how things change. Something happened in Judah's life that changed him. And what happened in Judah's life is the same thing that can happen in our lives as well. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at at Judah's life. It says in verse 1 that Judah... Let me get here. It said... At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. The number one thing you want you to see, first of all, is Judah was a man with no regard for what God desired. Judah was a man early on who was a, who was a man who had no desire for, who had no regard for what God desired. He left his brothers. Why did he leave his brothers? You know, Genesis chapter 37, verse 35, this is one of the last things that we read about what Judah was part of. And it says, and it's interesting, because just before this account, 
the brothers come to their father with Joseph's coat. Remember? They've already sent Joseph packing. He's on his way to Egypt. Out of sight, out of mind. You got that guy out of our hair. Now let's see what becomes of his dreams, they say. And they bring the coat of many colors. They've dipped it in goat's blood. And they bring it to the father, to their father Jacob, and they say, Do you recognize this? Hakarna in Hebrew. And that will become a key phrase. Because when Tamar picks up the the rod and the cord and the seal, she says, Hakarna. Do you recognize these? The chickens have come home to roost. The things that that Jacob or Judah learned in Jacob's home are the same things that he's done. And God's word says to us, do not be deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap back in his life. Parents, when you change the climate of your home, you are not only just changing the climate of your home. And when I talk about changing the climate of your home, I'm talking about the spiritual climate of your home. When the spiritual climate of your home changes, when you dads change, when you moms change, and when you as a couple say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. When you change, it will have an effect on your children as well. And not just your children, but it can have an effect on the children after that and the children after that. It was interesting. We talked last night in our community group about how far can we, how far can we remember back in our, in our genealogy. Almost every one of us, we can remember back to our great, our great grandfather, our great grandmother. That's it. That that that's it. And we have a legacy that we're leaving behind. And what kind of a legacy is it that you're going to leave? Jo- Judah starts out terribly. He leaves his brothers, and it says here, Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to my grave to my son. So his father wept for him. What did Judah have to stay home for? He had a father who didn't spend any time with him. He had his brothers, and every time he looked at his brothers, he's reminded, we sold Joseph down the, down the road. This is what we did to our dad. So he leaves. He leaves, and it says that he goes to spend time with a man of a dullum named Hira. Every time, watch, watch this, every time you see this guy's name, Hira, the next thing that Judah does is wrong. And here's, here's the case in point. He says he went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. Now it now goes on in, verse, in Genesis 38 too. Watch what Judah does next. And here's an interesting thing. The Hebrew, and I'm going to geek you out here. The Hebrew in chapter 38 is very, very descriptive. And there's some things that are going on with the language. This is one of them. It says, when Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite by the name of Shua, he married her and he lay with her. Three things. There's, it's, it's three verbs. Just bang, bang, bang. They come right together. He met her, he married her, and he lay with her. I mean, and it's just, it's that raw. I mean, there was something on his heart. But Judah, Judah, you are an Israelite. Who is she? She is a Canaanite. She is a Canaanite. Here's the interesting thing. When, when God brings the people of Israel into the promised land, one of the places, where does he bring them? He brings them by where? By Jericho. Jericho is, by, is what, why is, what's the significance of Jericho? Jericho lies on what, what we call the Via Maris, the way of the sea. It was, at the, it was at the junction of two major trade routes. When God brings his people into the land, he doesn't bring his people into the land to assimilate into all of, to become like the people that were there, the Canaanite people that were there. He brought them into the land so that they could be different, so that they could be people who, who the light of Christ would shine through. And Judah marries a Canaanite. He marries a Canaanite woman. He, he has no regard for what God desires. And it comes just that quickly. He saw her, he married her, he lay with her. And she became pregnant. And again, Judah is a man. He not only doesn't have a heart for what God desires, but he's a man whose sexual appetites. They just get, get the better of him. Just keep getting the better of him. And as we're going to see next week, when Joseph is put in the same situation, you watch what he does and how he handles it. Has God left us alone? 
Because for some of us, we have, a corrosive, we have corrosive tendencies when it comes to what we're looking at on the internet. Is God able to be with us in the midst of those temptations? He is. It says in Hebrews, he said, he suffered when he was tempted so that when we are tempted, that we can be helped out as well. He said that no temptation has ceased to accept that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with the temptation provide a way out for it. Judah is a man who, if he wants it, he gets it. He's a man who has no regard for what God desires. He's a man of, uh, whose sexual appetites were put before obedience to God's word. He's not to have a Canaanite wife. Well, his wife, she has three children in very, very short succession. Again, it's just bang, bang, bang. It's coming out. Verse 30, or chapter 3, verse 3 and 5, she, it says, His wife, did you notice she's never named? She is never named. There's a reason for that. When Hebrew leaves out a name, it leaves it out for a reason. It's glaring. It's there in big letters to say, She didn't matter. It's obvious what was on Judah's mind when he saw her. He saw her, he married her, he lay with her. We are never given her name. What is he interested in? He's interested in one thing. And now she has three children in in short succession. And it says she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and named him Ur. Verse 4, she conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Now there's something going on here. Did you notice something here? It's very subtle, but it's huge. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. His name was Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. Who's naming the child? She was. The first child, he names. Why doesn't he name the next two? It was the job of the father to name the children. Where is Judah? Where is Judah? Judah is an absentee father at this point. One of the churches I pastored, or churches I pastored in Montana, I did a funeral for a lady. Thirteen kids, thirteen children, and her family. They raised sugar beets. This was part of eastern Montana where they raised sugar beets. They only saw their dad for usually about two weeks at a time. He came home to get the money from what it was that they'd raised for as they, as they uh, grew the sugar beets. He came home long enough to get mom pregnant again, and then he left, and he'd be gone for the whole year. I don't know where Judah is at this point, but he is not home. He's an absentee father. And when you have absentee fathers, sons grow up very often. Listen, listen. been doing this 31 years, and I've seen it in every single church. When dad decides church is not an issue for him, your sons will someday say, then it's obviously not important to me. Can I implore you, please, dads? We have a generation, the Generation Z has already said, forget church, we don't want anything to do with it. The millennials have already said, two in ten, are saying that church means nothing to them. Dads, when it's important to you, when you show an importance in it, and when you show that church is something that is big for you, it will reflect on your children, especially your sons. Think about the legacy that you're going to leave behind. Where is Judah? Where is Judah when these children are being raised? Where are they? Well, Judah goes on. Not only is he an absentee father, excuse me. Not only is he an absentee father, I told you it's messy. And it's going to get, it's going to, it's going to come around, folks. But it's going to get messy, and it's going to get messier. It says, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. There's a part of me that really feels for Tamar. She's anywhere between 13 to 15 years old. Hmm. That was the age that, that girls, at right as they began puberty, that was the age that they were married off at. Ur was probably older. Sometimes they, most of the time it was after mid to late 20s, early 30s when a, when a man was married. So Ur, Ur was Judah's firstborn. There's language that's playing around. Ur and the word wicked, it said, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked. The letters are just flip-flopped. They do that for a reason in Hebrew. 
so that they remember. Because all I have to do is look at the word er and just flip it around. Er was wicked. We're not told what it was that he did. But here's the thing. He was so wicked that it said the Lord put him to death. He is the first one to be put to death after Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember God put the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to death because of their wickedness? This is the first time after that that we hear this happening. This guy was not a nice guy. And my heart goes out for Tamar. My heart really goes out for Tamar. Then we go on. The next son that is given. Go to the next slide. Then Judah said to Onan. Now here's, there's, a, there's some cultural thing that's going on. There's something that was called Leverite marriage. If you, as a, if you had a son, the oldest son, who died and had uh, no children through that wife, the next son down was to marry her, even if he had another wife. He was to marry her, and he was to produce offspring to her. There's a problem, and Onan knows what the problem is. Ur, being the firstborn son, is due a double portion of the blessing. He's due a double portion. So Onan knows any children that I produce through this union, they're going to get the double blessing. But if there are no children produced through this union, who gets the double blessing? Onan does. So when it's time for him to do what he's supposed to do, this is where i got to try to make it PG. He doesn't do it. Literally, he just uses her to have sex. This is why my heart goes out for Tamar. This, these, these, these sons are, well, they're like their dad. Remember, Judah also has an issue with, with sexual desire. They're just like their dad. And God does what? He, he puts him to death as well. Well, now, now Judah's got a problem. Verse 11, he's got another son. But this son is younger. And, and what does he say? Judah says to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house. Stop. That is absolutely wrong. That is absolutely wrong. In this culture, when a daughter was brought into the home, when a daughter-in-law was brought into the home, the father-in-law was duty-bound to take care of her. Judah is shirking his responsibility. He is sending her home. Sending her home, not just sending her home, sending her home in disgrace. And he has promised her. He says, live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. He is calling her to do something. He's calling her not only to go home, but he's also calling her to be sexually chaste. You can't be with any other man because you are promised. You are betrothed to Shelah. The problem is, he has no intention of ever keeping that promise. Because why? He thinks that the problem with his son's dying is whose problem? Tamar. Hello? Whose problem is it? You know, it's sometimes as parents, in, in, in the States, when, uh, when, especially in Montana or uh, when we were in Minnesota, um, you'd go to a ball game, whether it's basketball, whether it's ho- or, you know, football or hockey or whatever it might be, soccer, and there are parents out there who live vicariously. Now, I know this never happens in Hong Kong. Parents who live vicariously through their kids, and there you see that parent, he's out there you know, yelling at the ref or yelling at his kid you know, to do something better or whatever, and if the kid doesn't do well in that day, well, it was the coach's fault, or whether it was the referee's fault, it was this fault, but it, it, it couldn't possibly be my children. And Judah sends Tamar packing down the road. Go home. Go home in disgrace. Let your father take care of you. He's not a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. And, and she goes home. She goes home, and that's where she stays. And it goes on here. Judah's unwilling to deal with his sons. I missed that point here. Judah is unwilling to deal with his sons. At what point do we say as parents, I am to blame. Let me say that a little louder. I am to blame. 
Or at what point do we say, do we stop blaming the school? Do we stop blaming the coach? Do we stop blaming everything else and say, um, my kids are not walking in the way that they should be walking? That's why it goes, it, it, it goes back to the family again, folks. It goes back to the family. Why are his sons like they are? Because of what was modeled. What was modeled in the home. They're just like dad. And guess what? Judah is just like dad. Sending his daughter-in-law away. I mean, he didn't care for her at all. His father Jacob had four wives. He didn't care for three of them. He did not care for them at all. He cared for one. His sons are just like him. At what point do we begin to take responsibility and say, um, some of the onus lays on me. And some of it's upon my children. That's why I say when we change the climate of our homes, we affect not only us, but we affect the generations to come behind. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Do you have a time as family? And as I stand here before you, I'm, the reason I love being down on the floor is because I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I put my pants on the same way that you guys do. In our home, we didn't always read the Bible together as a family. Even though as a pastor, their life gets busy, it gets fast, but that changed as we got older to where we have a time, and especially now that it's just Beck and I with our feet under the table at night, to be able to spend time, we pray for you, we pray for different situations, we read God's word. And when our kids come home, they're part of that. There wasn't a day, one day in my father-in-law's life that I did not, there was only one day that I did not see my father-in-law after breakfast pull the Bible out and read the Bible. One day, and that was the day that he passed away, and he pushed me the Bible, and he said, why don't you read the Bible today? One day. And I think of those little things that we can do to begin changing the climate in our home to where our children don't grow up not knowing who God is. But they grow up in homes where they hear about who Christ is. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. We are stewards of what it is that God has given to us. And he's given to us these children. Well, he sends Tamar away. And after, after he sends them away... Uh, his wife dies. Judah's wife dies. And uh, Judah, he can, is, is unwilling. He's, it says, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. Again, no name. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing the sheep. And his friend, huh? Okay, what, what did he say? Whenever you see this name, the next thing that he does is wrong. Then This guy is not... Okay, Young people, who are you hanging out with? Who are, you, who are your friends? Mom and dad, who are your kids' friends? Do you know them? Who are they hanging out with? This guy is not a good example. Every time you see this guy's name, the next thing that Judah does is wrong. And it says that he went, went up to shearing time. We say, so what? He just went up to shear sheep. No, 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 no. Uh, you guys know what Mardi Gras is? Mardi Gras in the United States is right before Lent starts. It's an all-out debauched uh, time. Um, it, it's terrible. Uh, uh, New Orleans is not a good place uh, in the first place, and especially during Mardi Gras. The carnival in, in, in South America, this shearing time, this was an all-out drinking time. This was, it was a festive time because this is when they got paid. This was a time for drinking. There was a lot of sexual immorality that went on at this time. So this is not a good thing. I mean, yes, he's going down to see if the people who are shearing the sheep. But this was a time when a lot of really bad stuff took place. In people. A lot of immorality went on during this time. Does Tamar know her father-in-law? He doesn't recognize her. He doesn't know her. Does she know him? Oh, yeah. Does she know what his weakness is? There's an enemy who knows your weakness, too. There's an enemy who knows your weakness. There's a spider out there that um, its prey is other spiders. 
And the, re- the way that it gets these other spiders, because a lot of times the spider will hang back. But this spider, what it does is it mimics. It mimics what, uh, what the, the spider normally eats. So if a spider normally eats a fly that comes into the web, it'll mimic on the web the sound of a, or the, the, the feel of, a, like, say, a fly getting stuck in, in there. And, and the spider will come out thinking that, oh, there's a fly in there, and then it'll catch the, the one spider will catch the other spider and eat it. Well, when that spider goes to a web and he goes through all the things that he can't figure out, that the other spider isn't coming out, he'll continue to work, and he'll continue to work until he finally figures out what's the trigger to get this spider out, and then he's got him. There's an enemy that knows your weakness. And he will exploit it every single time. When? When will he exploit it? When you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're angry. Men of God, when do you need to guard your hearts? All the time. But especially when you're angry, when you're alone, when you're hungry, and when you're tired. Those are four occasions when the enemy comes in like a lion because he knows your weakness. Tamar knew. She knew Judah's weakness. And so what does she do? It says, when Tamar was told your father-in-law, verse 13 to 14, when Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and sat down at the entrance to a name, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw what? She saw that though Shelah had now grown up, he had not been given to him as she had not been given to him as his wife. She knows Judah has no intention of fulfilling his, his promise in this. And she's desperate. She's desperate. And sometimes we take things into our own hands, don't we? How's that working for you? Because many times when we take things into our own hands, do we make a mess out of things? Oh, I know. I, I, I'm right there. There are times where we've taken things. I, hey, this is a no-brainer. I can do this. And boy, do we end up in a mess. She is desperate to have a child. She is desperate to have a name. And she takes matters into her own hands. So watch this. Judah is one who's continually going away from God's will. And so he comes up to her. He comes up to her and uh, verse 15 to 18. And it's as raw as what it sounds like. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He never did really know her. He never uses her name. Again, when Hebrew leaves things out, it's for a reason. He never calls her by his name or by her name. And he says, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, sleep with me. What? Really? Judah, what are you doing? I wonder if there aren't times that God says the same thing about us. Really? What are you doing there? Why are you at that site? I get it, you're away from your wife. I get it that you're at the office and no one else is there. What are you you doing? You're a child of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Judah, really? Really? It is as raw as what it is. I mean, and he says to her, when Judah saw her, thought she was a prostitute. And he says, come now, let me sleep with you. It's the first time we hear Tamar speak. And she says, and what will you give me, give me to sleep with me? Now watch this. Remember his appetite? Remember his weakness? What does she say? He says, I will send you a young goat from my flock. And she said, will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? And he says, what? He is so desirous, he gives her the farm. He says, she says to him, your seal, its cord, and the staff. 
She asked for the moon and he gave it to her. Because there is one thing on his mind and one thing on his heart. And he gave it to her. Think of it this way. He asked, she asked for your wallet with all of your credit cards in it. With all of the PIN numbers to your credit cards. Plus your Hong Kong ID card. She, he, she asked for everything. And he just, he forked it right over and gave it right over there. Because what's on his mind? His appetite is what? Sex. And when your appetite is in that direction, you will feed it. Changing the culture, changing your heart, repentance. God can change that. They both get what they want. He goes home, and she goes home and puts on her widow's clothes again. Does she know... Does she know how Judah was going to react when he finds out? I think she knew because that's why she took what it is that she took. And what does it say? Judah knew her, Tamar knew Judah's weakness. But it says in verse, uh, excuse me a minute, verse uh, 24 to 26, about three months later, Judah was told your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. In the Hebrew, this is really harsh, what comes next. He says, bring her out and have her burned to death. Two words, just two words in in Hebrew. Out and burn. This was the most severe form of punishment that could ever be allotted on anybody. And in Judah, remember, he's called her to sexual chastity, to sexual purity. He sent her away to, to her father-in-law's, to her father's home. And he said, you can marry no one because you are betrothed to my son. Albeit I'm not have any intention of giving him to you. But yet he's doing what? He's a double standard here. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, I wonder in his heart if he thought, ha, huh, my problem is solved. I'll be rid of her. And he says, burn her. Just out and burn. And she, as she's coming out, the next verse, please. As she's being brought out, she sent the message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And she added, Hakarna, see if you recognize. The same words, the very same words that were used when the sons brought Joseph's coat of many colors to their father Jacob. The chickens came home to roost. And Judah is put in the very same place that his father was put. And Judah says one thing. Go to the next verse, please. Judah recognized them. And he said, and here again, there's one word. Sedek. Right. He says, she is right. She is righteous. She is more righteous than I because I wouldn't give my son Shella, and he did not sleep with her again. Now, hear this very, very well. What she did was not right. It was not right. Two wrongs do not make a right. What Judah did was not right, and what Tamar did was not right. But something happened in Judah's life at this moment when it says he recognized for the first time in his life, Judah recognized what a, what a man he was. He was deceitful. He was dishonest. He was a man who cared only for himself. He was a man whose sexual appetites were fed on whatever he wanted them to be fed on. And he was a man who had no regard for what it is that God wanted in his life. And he recognized she is Zedek. She is righteous. She did right. What she did was not right. It's never right to sin. It's never right to sin. And here's where the grace of God comes in. I, this was a question that we had at our community group last night. It's through this union. It's through this union. Uh, you can take that off screen, please. It's through this union that two sons come. The first son puts his hand out and they wrap the cord around to make sure, okay, that's the firstborn. And his name is Perez. Nine generations later comes David. Judah is old enough to be these little boys' grandfather. 
Something happens in the way. And I, I wish Scripture would tell us. But what we see is the result later on. Something happened in Judah's life. Because the Judah we meet in chapter 44 is a Judah who's not self-centered. He is a Judah who cares for his father. He cares about what's going to happen as the family. He's different. But not only that, you look at the line that is produced from Perez. You look at the line. And who comes a little ways down that line? A guy by the name of Boaz. A class act from the top of his head to the toenails on his feet. This guy is just a class act. And he marries whom? Ruth. And Ruth, what a precious... I mean, do you see? Where did it start? Nine generations later, we have whom being born? David. And it is out of the line of David, it is out of the line of Judah, that comes the Savior. That's why I say, when you change the climate, mom and dad, in your home, you're not just affecting you and your wife. You are affecting the climate of your, of your home. You are affecting the generations that will come behind you. That's why Jesus longs to enter into the mess. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with the, with the mess. Sometimes when we ask God into the mess, say, yeah, I got a mess. My marriage is a mess. I mean, we come, it's exactly like you said, Pastor. We come on Sunday morning, we put the happy you know, Christian face on, but we haven't talked for weeks. Or yeah, I, 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 got, I got issues with pornography. I have issues with, uh, right now, we're so financially strapped because I just, I, I, I just can't, can't stop buying. And all other things, and, and at what point do we invite God into the mess? But here's the thing. Sometimes when God enters the mess, especially when we say, God, would you change that person? God, that, 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 this guy is just terrible. Would you change that person? Oftentimes when God enters the mess, he doesn't change the person we're talking about. He changes us. He, he works on the mess that's going on inside of us. And sometimes, sometimes God does that, and he does that in amazing ways. Let me tell you a story, and with this, I'm done, and then I'm going to wrap up. Our first church, we had a, a lady who came to the church. Um, her name was Donna, and she was married to a, a guy named Rich. Um, I was, I, earlier this week, I was going to say that the guy was a skunk. Uh, that's an animal from the United States, and I realize a lot of you don't know what a skunk is, but he was not, Rich was not a nice guy. Um, Donna was a precious, precious lady, a very godly lady, very godly lady. But her husband, he came to church one Sunday and I know what this is like. I have a wife who looks young and I look old. And so he came to the church and somebody said to, to, to Donna, Oh, is that your dad? That was the last time he came to church. I'm like, oh my word. You know, I get that at the TSA. Oh, come along, grandfather. Uh, <laughs> but Donna went to church. And Donna, she was not allowed. Her husband said to her, You are not allowed to give any of, any of my money to the church. He said, if you want to give money to the church, he said, you give out of what it is that you make. She had, a, she had a daycare in the home. And out of the money that she had from the daycare, she gave back to God. I didn't find this out till much, much later. And that, that she gave back to God. Well, one day her husband, Rich, well, okay, when, when Rich would come home at night, they had a little, little dog. And the dog would come up on his lap. He loved the dog. And the dog would lick him on the face and, you know, all this. And he was so happy. And he would show all the affection to the dog. And Donna got nothing. Donna stayed with him. Wow. It's like, sometimes I wonder, it's like, you know, a guy like it, you know, in, in carnal moments, I think, kick that guy to the curb. I mean, I mean, it's not worth your time. But I, know I don't mean that. I think that in my heart at times, it's like, God, that's not right. Okay. But, Rich was not a nice guy, and one day he came to her and he said, uh, uh, I think you need to get a full-time job, a job other than and daycare. She didn't know what was pulling off. He had gone to the doctor and found out that he had stage 4 cancer. And it was interesting. When, when Rich was in the hospital in the last days, I went up there, Donna gave me a call, and she said, Pastor, Rich is in his last hours. So I went up to the hospital, and there's Rich, and he's laying on the bed, and uh, he's incoherent at this time. 
And she's brushing his hair. She's got Christian music going on. And she, all he could have was the little, you know, the, the swabs that they do on the mouth and just doing that. And she's over there and she's telling him, you know, how much that she loves him and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, he treated you so poorly and yet you treat him like this. I just, I couldn't believe that. She invited Jesus into the mess. And instead of changing Rich's heart, he changed her heart. And she was a wife who lived in the midst of that mess. But she lived in the midst of that mess. And she loved him. She truly loved him. She said, Pastor, let's have a word of prayer and then let's go get something to eat. We'll come back. We had a word of prayer. We turned around and she said, he's gone. And looked around and he had just died. And the testimony that Donna had, even to the very end, was a testimony that she had invited Jesus into the mess. Jesus longs to enter the mess. Let me give a couple of questions here for us as we, as we close up here. Is there someone you know who is like Judah? The same God who changed the heart, his heart can change the heart of the Judah that you know. And these are your community group questions, but spend time. But do you know a Judah? Maybe you. Maybe you are Judah. Or maybe you grew up in a home where your dad was like Judah. Judah's sons were a lot like him. What kind of legacy are we leaving for our children? Most of us can remember only back three, three generations. How will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? The next question. Before you take matters into your own hands, this is Tamar. Is there, is there a situation that you need to ask God to help you with before you take matters into your own hands? Judah took, Tamar took matters into her own hands. Is there something that you need to stop and say, God, what would you have me to do in this situation? Because there are some of us who honestly were in situations with somebody like Rich and Donna, and you're saying, I'm out. I, I, I'm I'm done. I'm done being treated like trash. I'm done being treated in a way where, you know, I have no affection. There's no love. It's just, I, I'm done with this. I just want to be out of this marriage. Before you take matters into your own hands, would you, would you ask God to enter into the mess? And the last question, is it ever right to sin? No. And I think I have one more there, don't I? Into what messy situation do you need to invite Jesus? Judah changes. The same Judah that we meet in chapter 44 is not the Judah that we meet in chapter 38. Judah is an example of what a family looks like, of what a man looks like, who has no regard for God. And it is my deepest prayer that as we have heard God's word this morning, that God has gotten a hold of your heart. That the climate of our homes, the climate of our lives will change. And that those coming behind us will see mom and dad really love God. And they love me too. And I want to be one who loves Jesus in the same way. Into what messy situation do you need to invite Christ? He will come. But he will do what brings him the most glory in the midst of that situation. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to close this. It's 10 after 12. Um, thank you for uh, hanging with me here. But I just want to close in prayer. Um, I'm going to ask if we have elders and elders' wives, if you would come up here to the, to the front. Um, maybe you need to pray. You need someone to pray with you. And maybe as husband and wife, you need to come and you need to say, all is not well. And that can be really embarrassing, especially in, in our society, in our, our culture as Chinese. And Filipinos, it's hard. But someone is here, someone will be here to pray with you. And I'd also ask, I don't see some of our elders' wives, but if you are one of our seasoned ladies here who truly loves the Lord, uh, Angela, um, I'd like to see you up here as well so that if people need to pray, that uh, there's someone to pray with them. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. You are far better to us than what we deserve. And you left the, the account of Judah where you did for a purpose. 
And you are the God who takes Judas and transforms them. And you brought him face to face with the reality of who he was. And God, I pray that this morning as you brought many of us face to face with where we are, you long to enter into the mess. You long to bring about transformation. You changed the heart of Judah. And you not only changed the heart of Judah, but you changed his legacy. And God, I pray for us as parents, as people whom you deeply love, that God, where you have been speaking to our heart this morning, that Lord, we would invite you into those places where there are relationships between husband and wives that need the touch of your hand, that we would be willing to say as husband and wife that all is not well and we need you. Maybe you are a man who is struggling. You're struggling because of habits when you're alone. Maybe you are in a place where Things are not good at home between your husband and someone at the office is showing a great deal of attention to you and you like it, but you realize it's not right. It is never right to sin. We can never justify it. And I just pray, Father, for all of the situations that can come up in a room this size among peoples. You long to enter into, you long to give us hope That's what you long to do. Because, Lord, sometimes we come up to these times and we say, where's the hope? And your word says that we have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure. Our hope is in you, Jesus. And you are the one that can move in the midst of situations that we would deem impossible. Prodigals. For some of us, Father, we have prodigal sons, we have prodigal daughters, We did what we thought was right. We read your word. We raised them in a home. And they have told us to hang it on our beak. And they've walked away from you. And they've walked away from everything that we've taught. And it looks as though, God, there's no hope. And yet, God, with you there is hope. You love the prodigals. And you wait out on the road for them to return. And God, I just pray for the parents of prodigals this morning that we would put our trust and our hope as we once again lay them in your hands and ask God for you to do what only you can in their hearts. Precious Father, come now. I pray the precious hand, your precious hand upon this, uh, this body. Even as I walked in here this morning and there was nobody in here and prayed for you to move in a powerful way, I thank you, Lord, that you have. And I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, for your blessing and for your spirit to go with us as we leave from here. I pray the blessing of this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, and the one who longs to enter into our mess, may he be the one that works in your life, and may he be the one that you invite into your life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Have a good day. You are dismissed.